but really want you to think about this, that it doesn't really matter the number. You could be on less than five medicines and something could be inappropriate. So medicines can become inappropriate for anyone, as you spoke about, at any age, but they become more inappropriate the longer years we're on them and the older we are getting. Welcome to the Pharmacy Quality Solutions Quality Corner Show, where quality measurement leads to better patient outcomes. This show will be your go-to source for all things related to quality improvement and medication use in healthcare. We will hit on trending health topics as they relate to performance measurements and find common ground for payers and practitioners. We will discuss how the Equip platform can help you with your performance goals. And we will also make sure to keep you up to date on pharmacy quality news. Please note that the topics discussed are based on the information available at the date and time of recording. Information or guidelines are updated periodically, and we will always recommend that our listeners research and review any guidelines that are newly published. Buckle up and put your thinking cap on. The Quality Corner Show starts now. Hello, Quality Corner Show listeners. Welcome back to the PQS podcast, where we focus on medication use, quality improvement, and how we can utilize pharmacists to improve patient health outcomes. I'm your host, Nick Dorich, and on the episode today, we are bringing back one of my favorite guests from season two. Now, when we last spoke with this guest, we hinted that we'd have topics to cover in the future, and the future is now. Now, over the next couple of episodes, our attention will turn to management for medications and care for the senior population. A few episodes in September 2021 focused on this population, and we expected at that time that we would return to this topic perhaps even early and often. For today, we are continuing on about a topic that was covered, or at least mentioned in multiple episodes last year, that being de-prescribing. With that, it's now time to reintroduce our guest, that being Dr. Donna Bartlett, Associate Professor of Pharmacy Practice at the Massachusetts College of Pharmacy and Health Sciences. Donna, Welcome back to the PQS Quality Corner Show. Thank you so much, Nick. I'm so glad to be back. It's just great, and I appreciate the invite. Absolutely. Great to have you back. And Donna, we covered an introduction for you when you were on the show last year, but folks maybe didn't listen to that episode, or maybe there are some new updates. So do you mind covering your background in pharmacy, and then can you explain your current role? Sure. Um, So I have... Over 25 years of experience, I have a lot of retail experience, over 20 years of retail experience. I took the long road to my PharmD and um, eventually did get there. Um, Once I got my PharmD, I was able to become a faculty with MCPHS University. At that same time, I also became board certified in geriatric pharmacy, and that's been a passion of mine since. So I work often with um, older adults. I have a site at a local hospital, and we work with geriatrics mostly. Excellent, yeah, and that is the exact topic that we are here to talk about today. Uh, but we're gonna we're gonna jump into the end of the questions. But uh, before we do, we gotta stop. We'll hear the breakdown. Now it's time for the breakdown. As Quality Corner show host, Nick will ask three main topic questions. Our guests will have a chance to respond and there will be some discussion to summarize the key points. This process will repeat for the second and third questions, which will wrap up the primary content for this recording. After that, expect to end on a closing summary, usually containing a bonus question. Now that we have described the process, let's jump into the questions. 
All right, Donna, let's go ahead and jump into our topic for today. Now, we are talking de-prescribing. We are talking de-prescribing in particular for that geriatric, for that senior population. I'll, I'll note or I'll call that out because de-prescribing could be appropriate for any population, right? It's always an important aspect for what needs to be considered because it could be related to side effects. It could be related to management and expectations for the disease state, right? Has the patient achieved an expected clinical or therapeutic outcome? But I want to start there. Donna, when we are talking about that geriatric or senior population, what are key indicators for candidates, for patients that can be, quote unquote, de-prescribed? So, um, yeah, great point. And it's really important that we break this down. I think what's really important first is just to make certain that everyone understands that deprescribing is either stopping, reducing, or changing medicines to a safer alternative. And that's really key when we're talking about our older adults. So one thing, of course, is age. The older we get, of course, our bodies are changing, but people don't realize that. They think, I've been on this medication for years. I've, I should be fine, but their bodies are changing and they might be reacting differently to medicines. So age is a big deal. And as we age from 65 to even 85, that's 20 years right then and there. And we see that people are on similar medications um, for that long. We also want to think about frailty. What's the, how strong is this patient? Are they able to take care of themselves? Are they frail? Are they falling? Um, that's another issue too. So what are some of those um, factors, those um, daily living factors that could play a part too? Kidney function is also a major factor as well. But I think what we like to really be, you know, a really simple thing to be looking at is the number of meds someone is taking. And when we look at studies, we're seeing that five or more medications is considered polypharmacy. But really, I want you to think about this, that it doesn't really matter the number. You could be on less than five medicines and something could be inappropriate. So Medicines can become inappropriate for anyone, as you spoke about, at any age, but they become more inappropriate the longer years we're on them and the older we are getting. So those are some of the key um, factors, but there's just a couple of other things I want you to think about too. There are multiple meds for multiple for the same condition. So that is, you know, maybe a flag like, hmm, do you really need all of these medications still? Um, the other thing, like I talked about, is the length of time that someone has been on the medication for. So did they start in their 40s, 50s, and are they now in their 80s? Is it still appropriate at that age? Or, and I love this one, this is like my favorite thought process of all, is if someone is starting to take over the counters or trying to like treat themselves for something, that's a flag too that there's something probably not quite right. Maybe they're treating constipation or headaches or dry eyes or something of that sort. And that could all be side effects to medications they've been taking. That's a great point, Donna, whether it's the OTCs, could be herbal supplements, right? Anything that's there where you're not just, people aren't just taking a medication or over-the-counter supplement because they, they want to. There's a point or purpose to that. I do have one question I want to clarify here as well, Donna. And just as we think about for many of these cases, many of these disease states, patients may be on multiple medications and we are seeing or have seen over the years an increase in different combination products. So let's let's just say as an example, right, taking a patient where if they're on multiple medications and there's an existing combination product, switching that patient to a combination product 
does that count as deprescribing? Is that useful? Is that helpful? Or is that just rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic? Yeah, kind of that. Um, <laughs> it's more like helping with pill burden than actually deprescribing. So I think when we're deprescribing, and you bring up a really good point, is, you know, what are we combining together for folks? And maybe it is important. We know that there's a multiple number of disease states that require more than one medication to um, to take care of the patient. Think about COPD, think about hypertension, even heart failure, diabetes. There's many medicines that are combined in order to help somebody, but we need to be thinking about those. Are they still all necessary? So yes, we're combining to reduce pill burden, but at some point we might need to take one of those away. But so pill burden versus deprescribing, um, different animals for sure. I would expect then my my other thought is there may be medications where you can reduce frequency of dosing, right? Where there may be alternatives to once a day versus two or three times a day where forgetfulness or um, you know access to the medication may be different. That's not necessarily, again, deprescribing. Could be useful for the patient, but is not necessarily deprescribing, correct? Sure. So yeah, totally thinking about that. You want to also be thinking about um, you know, the extended release versus the um, immediate release of medication. So sometimes they can be very helpful in your optimizing medicines. So that's a part of deprescribing is to optimize medications. That's ultimately what we want to do. So maybe you are optimizing medications by switching an immediate release to an, to an extended release product, and it might become actually more beneficial to a patient. Think about your patients with heart failure. They might be on the twice-a-day metoprolol tartrate, and when um, metoprolol succinate has been really the successful agent that's been used to treat heart failure. Yeah, so a successful change for a patient still can be warranted and still can be great, and here at the Quality Corner Show, we approve of any kind of improvement, no matter how big and small, but it may just be a different name, right? When we're making these changes, it may not be de-prescribing technically, but it may still be good for the patient. We still want to focus on that. Donna, let's let's move to our next question. And this one, I want to go into some of the specifics. And this is something we, we kind of hinted at when we talked last year and with some of the episodes. But when it does come to that geriatric senior population, what are some of the most common medication classes or treatments that are considered for deprescribing? I think when we talk about this and when pharmacists are thinking about it, everyone's mind is immediately going to go to the beers list criteria in some of those high risk medications. But I always point out to folks where, you know, that that is the criteria. And those there is some contention as well with medications on that list. And does the prescriber want to change? Does the patient want to make the change that are there and pointing out to say, hey, those are the appropriate guidelines for medications where there may be safer alternatives. But again, the question to you, what are some of the most common medication classes or treatments that are considered for deprescribing? Sure. So you know, you did mention the beers criteria. Of course, that's very important. Um, stop is another criteria that we can use. But I really like to point out um, steady by the CDC, which is the um, stop elderly accidents, deaths, and injuries. And it really helps folks thinking about medicines that can increase the risk of falls. And that's really a big issue where, you know, we're thinking about our older adults. We want to keep them upright and at home. We don't want them falling and breaking and fracturing bones. So if we can keep people upright, that's going to be really important. So I do like um, the steady and it really mirrors all these other criteria that we're looking at too. But what are the types of medicines that we see on these lists are the opioids, 
benzodiazepines, hypnotics, antidepressants, um, muscle relaxants. You, you can just start thinking about all of these things, right? And um, anticholinergic agents that are like really drying and can cause tachycardia and, and increase the risk of arrhythmias. So there's just so many various medicines, but then we also see the combination, right? So we see all of these medicines being combined and then you start going, oh no, these should not even be on the same list for somebody. So we start to get concerned about that respiratory depression and things such as that. So what areas are we thinking about when we're talking about older adults? We're thinking about their minds, the CNS ideas of medicine. So that we have to be super careful with. We're thinking about falls. We have to think about cardiovascular because older adults become more susceptible to the cardiovascular side effects of medication. So when we have medicines that are QTC prolongation agents, that's going to be a bigger concern in our older adults as well. Um, so, and then also anticholinergics, things that cause the whole drying. They are already dry. Older adults tend to be drier in general. We know this. They're, they, there's more susceptibility to dry mouth, dry eyes, swallowing problems. Um, so uh, are we just treating that? Are we just adding on? Or are we going, wait a minute, they have an anticholinergic burden. That is terrible here. And we really need to start reducing these medicines. So some of the things I'd like to break down a little bit more just in this category that I think are important, but anti-seizure meds is another one. So, but we're thinking more of the gabapentin type, which is used for the neuropathic pain. We also see, um, the antidepressants, we not only want to be thinking about like the SSRIs or the SNRIs, which have some maximum dosing and actually last longer in our older adults, for example, fluoxetine, but also those TCAs, those are the meds people have been on for years and they're still on them and they're causing falls in the middle of the night and causing them to be very dry and tachycardia. So we really want to be reducing um, the TCAs, the like the amitriptyline, muscle relaxants. Um, we just had someone who came in after a fall, you know, was, muscle spasms, et cetera, was put on a muscle relaxant and went home and then fell again and came back. Just not ideal that we're using these medicines in older adults who are already frail and falling. So um, we want to be super careful about these medicines for sure and um, be thinking about how can we minimize. Sometimes it's reducing. We don't want to stop right away. We just need to start reducing these meds so that people um, can eventually go off of them. All right, Donna, before we continue, I want to take that question that I asked and I want to flip it on its head now. So I asked about what are the common medication classes that we're going to be de-prescribing, but are there any common meds that are perhaps not considered for de-prescribing, but should be? Absolutely. And I think what's really important to highlight here is any medication could be a candidate for deprescribing depending upon the individual and their comorbidities. So 
we have to really be looking at the individual patient. So what are some of these surprising or common things we see? We see people ending up with edema on high doses of amlodipine. They should be cut back or stopped and so that they don't have this prescribing cascade of adding on more diuretics when we can actually be reducing edema and maybe doing a little switch around with some of their um, medications, maybe maximizing more of the ACE inhibitors or ARBs in reducing the calcium channel blockers, such as amlodipine. I know I talked about antidepressants already, but I think we have to be really careful about dosing, especially with citalopram and escitalopram. They have maximum dosing for older adults because these are QTC prolongating agents. So because of that, we have to be super careful. I see a lot of people on too high of dosing. So 20 milligrams max for citalopram, 10 milligrams for escitalopram in our older adults. Iron tablets. People are on iron tablets way, way, way too long. And, um, you know, let's keep evaluating this. And then they end up with constipation and then they have a triad of <laughs> many other products that they're adding on. Proton pump inhibitors. We all know that one. I think at this point it's been everywhere, but don't forget about it. It's important. The others are like meds that increase the risk of bleeding. We'll see people come into the hospital that have a bleed and, you know, they're thinking about the maybe more or less the anticoagulants, which is fine, but are they on an omega-3 and are they on the high dose prescription strength omega-3s? So, um, so that can be an issue too, where that's increasing a risk of bleed or, um, so we want to be thinking about has blood scores and thinking about how important it is, is if somebody is on medications for anticoagulation and what are some of these other um, natural quote unquote products that they're taking or over the counter products. Also with the bleeds, we have to be thinking about our SSRIs too. They also increase the risk of bleed. So careful of those. And then the and there's two more I just really need to highlight. So one is um, with diabetes meds. And we still see people see so many people on the sulfonylureas. Sulfonylureas are like bottom of the barrel now when we're looking at the actual um, guidelines for treatment. So when we're looking at folks that have hypoglycemic episodes, they're at the bottom list. They're our last resort. And we see so many older adults on them because they've been on them for years and they're still on these um, the sulfonylureas that are increasing their risk of falls and increasing their risk of hypoglycemic episodes. In the one real surprise, and I'm leaving this as the, as the last nail, is eye drops. We don't think about eye drops. In dorzolamide, we see older adults in their 80s and 90s with glaucoma and reduced kidney function on dorzolamide. Dorzolamide should not be used in people with creatinine clearance of less than 30. So with that, um, they end up having um, an increased amount of dorzolamine re uh, remaining in their system, and it can cause um, anemia and other blood dyscrasias. So got to be careful of even our eye drops, and I don't think we always think about that, especially in our older adults. So those are some common and, um, you know, maybe, maybe alarming, maybe surprising, or maybe not so surprising. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you for the rundown on that, Donna. It certainly gives our audience lots to think about as they are working through the management for their geriatric population. Now, 
I do our last question. I want to focus on something that you you mentioned um, in your response to the second question, and that's the timeline for deprescribing. So, when it comes to that, the expectations for the patient are important. And in many cases, they may hear deprescribing, and that just means I'm going to stop taking the medication. But you and I know that that's probably not going to be the way it's done. In some cases, that may be very unsafe. Um, so what does it typically look like as far as a timeline, reducing a dose, removing a medication, and, and how do you set up those expectations for a patient? Yeah, so I think what's important is when we think about, you know, is something can something just be stopped or can something be tapered? And to really, and you you talk about this before, Nick, and you mentioned that, you know, you need the patient to be on board too. And some of the meds that we first talked about, the opioids and benzodiazepines and things like that, like, no, no, I don't want to be in pain. I want to be able to sleep. I don't want to be anxious. So so some of those things we need to really be thinking about. And, and really the thought process is if we can start eliminating something and really start gaining some trust with these individuals that um, have these very long lists of medicines. So so be thinking about the things that might not have to be tapered or might cause withdrawal. So iron supplements, are those really necessary? You can probably just stop those like we talked about. A diuretic might not be necessary anymore, especially if you've added on the um, incontinence meds such as oxybutynin. That is like kind of counterproductive, right? So maybe you're reducing some diuretics. If they're on a potassium tablet with the diuretic, make certain you take that off too. So, so some of these things can be stopped, but we got to take the cascade things away as well and be careful of those things. So sometimes you can reduce medicines in an abrupt way, if you will, depending upon what that medicine is. There's a lot of medications though that do need to be tapered because we are concerned about withdrawal type of symptoms. So things that affect the central nervous system are going to be ones that we have to taper slowly. Proton pump inhibitors because of rebound effects and beta blockers, blood pressure medicines, some of them, beta blockers, alpha blockers, those are gonna have rebound effects. So those we have to taper slowly. Anti-seizure meds, we see folks on anti-seizure meds for 50 plus years because they only had seizures in their 20s or 30s, and now they're in their 70s. They're still on anti-seizure meds. They're too scared to go off of them. They don't want to have a seizure. They don't want to not be able to drive. So they stay on these meds, but we can do it slowly. And they probably, if they haven't had a seizure in 50 years, they probably don't need the medicine, but got to do it slow. So those are some things like we have to be balancing and thinking about. But if you can stop something more, you know, on the quicker side, more abrupt side of, um, and not have the person have withdrawals, that gains some trust. They still feel good. They might even feel better. <laughs> and, um, and we can help with that and then work on the meds that might take a little bit longer. When we're looking at timelines, there are plenty of um, examples of case studies in, um, in the literature. And we can see like, this can take time, nine months, you know, depending upon how many meds. Some meds take months to go off of, um, such as benzodiazepines, opioids, depending upon the length of time that people have been on them. Yeah, Donna, that's a, a great key point. And even as I think how we at PQS have worked with pharmacies on the use of high-risk medications in the elderly, that's been a quality measure, and it's really not used now. And it's an area where pharmacies 
there was often a bit of friction there because there were some indications where a patient or a prescriber would just say, no, I don't want to change. And and for many of the reasons that you've stated, they've been on it forever or they think it has that benefit or they're they're used to it. And those may not always be appropriate. Even still, we we did have situations where pharmacies would find that they were reducing a dose and that doesn't get counted for in the measure. And that's a part where it does become a, a bit difficult, right? Because yes, you're doing the right thing for the patient. You are addressing that high risk med, but it may not always be reflected. Or like you said, it may take time to taper down that dose. And when you're looking at a measure that assesses over a period of a year, well, hey, that time period may go into the next year and it's still impacting them. So that can leave a bit of a bad feeling for uh, for the providers, for the pharmacist. But it is an item where I go back to if it's right, right for the patient, Mm-hmm. It's going to be the right thing for the profession. So that really becomes Absolutely. the key detail that we look at. Right Now, Donna, I want to wrap up our conversation today, and I want to get to just some of the key points. So while we were talking, I was uh, frantically taking some notes on my computer here as we as we do the recording, because I always like to learn from our from our guests. And really, when it comes to deprescribing, we're defining that, right? It is stopping, reducing, or changing to a safe alternative medication, or maybe even removing a medication for a patient that is in that geriatric senior age group. Things we really want to focus on, reducing fall risk, you mentioned the the study, or we want to be reducing cognitive effects for that population. Um, Improving or removing medications that can impact kidney function is also really a key item. And that generally, removing medications that can be uh, impacting the, or medications that are in that anticholinergic category, that can greatly improve quality of life for patients. I say that as someone that right now we're already in allergy season and I'm perhaps bordering on taking too much of uh, a you know, Benadryl. Um, that's there. I can feel it at my age and I'm not close yet to that to that population age. So I definitely understand that that part. We want to ensure that we're, lo- we're, we're looking at and reviewing a patient's medication, every medication, every OTC, every herbal, every supplement, et cetera, that it has a specific indication. And we want to assess when those medications, are they being taken for a specific reason or are they being taken to manage or reduce a side effect of another medication? So that can be a way for us to reduce some of those. And then the key part that we talked about at the end, setting expectation. What is the timeline? Is it going to be abruptly? Probably not. Most likely not. It is likely going to be a period where it may take weeks, months, maybe even a year to really get there. So that becomes a key expectation. But all of this goes back to, again, we're stopping, reducing or changing a patient, their therapy, their therapies to a safer medication regimen that's there. Donna, anything else that I left out in the summary? (laughs) (laughs) No, I think it's great. I just think, you know, bottom line to all of this and the whole point of deprescribing is to optimize medicine. So that's really what we're doing. And we want to make certain that we're optimizing medications because they've done their job to get us to our older ages, right? They've worked. (laughs) We're in our 80s and 90s now um, and and doing well. So let's keep doing well by deprescribing to optimize. Excellent. Well, Donna, thank you for that. And again, thanks for your insight on the, the topic of deprescribing here. We, we are moving to our final parts of the episode. So before we let you go, we've got a couple of questions and we've got a little bit of a new process to finish out our episode. And this is related to the quality improvement process. We love that here at PQS. That is the real core of our show. So I've got a question or rather a three-part question for you, Donna. First part, how do you track personal or professional goals? Second part, 
Can you share a goal that you're currently working on? And then third, is there a goal you haven't yet started, but that you would like to this year? Wow, loaded question here, Nick, but thanks for asking. <laughs> um, so tracking goals, I'm going to talk about deprescribing, actually, um, because I just think it's really important. And you and you actually mentioned a couple of things already in the um, summary. So one is I have been tracking um, how are we doing with our patients at the hospital in regards to national averages, especially for heart failure folks and also for COPD folks? Because we do a lot of action steps um, to really teach people on how to better use their medicines too, part of the optimizing, and then if we've made recommendations. So we look at those and we're actually below the national average at the hospital for those that we've spoken with. So that has been a really fun thing to track and it makes me you know, very happy Happy that I'm able to have students experience that and make a difference um, for folks. So, um, and now just to kind of take it to another level, we're actually checking off, like, are we actually reducing? Are we stopping or are we switching? So that's something that, you know, maybe pharmacies can be doing themselves is what part of deprescribing are they recommending for various folks? And they could be checking boxes for if it is a reduction versus somebody completely stopping a medicine. So, um, so that is definitely things that we are working on and that we have worked on in the past. A goal I'm currently working on is that I'm writing a book on deprescribing and um, absolutely love this work. It's super exciting to me. It's it's been really fun. The people I've met and um, just the process, it's it's been all new to me. And um, I just have to say that it's a work in progress and it's it really truly is my passion. And I love talking about it, obviously. <laughs> so, um, so that's been just a wonderful thing. So I am currently working on that goal. And a goal I haven't started yet because my book isn't published yet, but once it is published, I will, I'm just so looking forward to sharing what I've learned um, with various populations, but especially with older adults across the whole country and, um, nas and nationally and internationally. So those are some goals I have set up for me. Um, down the line. Donna, thank you very much for the rundown and looking forward to your progression on the goals that you have here. Now, Donna, uh, at this point, we thank you for coming on the Quality Corner Show, and we know that folks may want to reach out to you. So before we close, if folks do want to get in touch with you, where can they find you? Where, how can they reach out to you? Sure. So um, I do have a website, DonnaBartlett.com. It's all about deprescribing. So by all means, you can reach out to me through that. Um, I also will also be promoting my book at that time, too. So um, it'll all be on my website, DonnaBartlett.com. Excellent. We'll certainly recommend folks reach out to you, Donna, if they have questions or when they see your book uh, coming around. Um, or when they're checking out your podcast as well with the ASCP group. So lots of ways. Um, I've certainly, for myself, comment my comment here to the audience. Donna has been absolutely fantastic work with it and a great resource. So certainly she is not shy about communicating back or responding to cold call uh, messages on LinkedIn, things like that as well. So certainly um, a great person to learn from and work with. So just my, my two cents to add in there. But uh, Donna... Thank you again for joining today's episode. Certainly appreciate having you as a guest. I said last time that we'd have you um, back and that came up 
perhaps sooner than expected, but that's a that's a, a good thing. And uh, certainly that's I'm, I'm keeping that part in here. I expect we'll have you back again in the future. Time will tell how soon <laughs> how, how soon that is. But with that, we've wrapped up our content for today's episode. And we thank you, our listening audience, for joining today and for listening to another episode of the Quality Corner Show. We'll be back with a new episode for you next week. And until then, we have one final message from the PQS team. The Pharmacy Quality Solutions Quality Corner Show has a request for you. Our goal is to spread the word about how quality measurement can help improve health outcomes, and we need your help in sharing this podcast to friends and colleagues in the healthcare industry. We also want you to provide feedback, ask us questions, and suggest health topics you'd like to see covered. If you are a health expert and you want to contribute to the show or even talk on the show, please contact us. You can email info at pharmacyquality.com. Let us know what is on your mind, what we can address so that you are fully informed. We want you to be able to provide the best care for your patients and members, and we wish all of you listeners out there well.